The Holy Gospel according to St. Matthew, the 20th chapter. Glory be to thee, O Lord. Jesus said, The kingdom of heaven is like a master of a house who went out early in the morning to hire laborers for his vineyard. After agreeing with the laborers for a denarius a day, he sent them into his vineyard, and going out about the third hour, he saw others standing idle in the marketplace. And to them he said, You go into the vineyard too, and whatever is right, I will give you. So they went. Going out again about the sixth hour and the ninth hour, he did the same. And about the eleventh hour, he went out and found others standing, and he said to them, Why do you stand here idle all day? They said to him, Because no one has hired us. He said to them, You go into the vineyard too. And when evening came, the owner of the vineyard said to his foreman, Call the laborers and pay them their wages, beginning with the last up to the first. And when those hired about the eleventh hour came, each of them received a denarius. Now when those hired first came, they thought they would receive more, but each of them also received a denarius. And on receiving it, they grumbled at the master of the house, saying, These last worked only one hour, and you have made them equal to us, who have borne the burden of the day and the scorching heat. But he replied to one of them, Friend, I am doing you no wrong. Did you not agree with me for a denarius? Take what belongs to you and go. I choose to give to this last worker as I give to you. Am I not allowed to do what I choose with what belongs to me? Or do you begrudge my generosity? So the last will be first, and the first last. This is the Gospel of the Lord. Praise be to thee, O Christ. The master of the vineyard takes us straight to the point at the end of the parable. This is a parable about generosity about the generosity of God who chooses to do what he wants with his good gifts and he gives them in abundance, choosing to reward those who work very, very little with the same amount as he gave to those who worked all day long. It's a parable about generosity and it includes this warning for those who feel that they have labored long and hard and are not getting much for it. It's a warning that it all comes as a gift from God that denarius, that day's wage, that comes as a gift from God. It's a gift from beginning to end. And in fact, there's a more important, more fundamental point to make about God's generosity in this parable. It's not just about the denarius, not just about the pay that these workers receive at the end of the day that demonstrates God's generosity. But it's the fact that he hired them in the first place. It's the fact that he went to the marketplace and sought out workers for his vineyard. That is where we see God's generosity on full display. That he calls anyone to labor in his vineyard, that he calls you, is a gift from God. He calls you who do not deserve it. You who are the least and the lowliest. You who have nothing to offer to him. It is you that he calls. And he rewards, because of his call, by his grace alone. God is generous in that he puts us to work. Now, it takes some time to sort that out, because we, according to our sinful human nature, have a really bad relationship with work. When you think about the notion of work, usually we go straight to thinking about something that your boss is giving you to do. 
something that you're doing in order to earn a paycheck. And in fact, here's the thing, if you could get that paycheck without doing the work, you'd take that option, right? You'd choose to get the paycheck without the work because it's not really the work that we love most of all, it's the wage that we get at the end of the day. That governs so much of our relationship with work. It's what makes things feel bitter and exhausting, a chore, and even futile. We labor and labor and labor, and what do we get? What do we show for it at the end of the day? Far less, far less than we probably think we should, which is why so many people work simply to get to the weekend. So work is the obstacle between one weekend and the next. You work in order to get to and pay for your vacation. You work so that finally at the end of the day you can retire and quit working and you can just sit around and drink martinis on the beach or whatever it is that you want to do. That's the goal. Not to, it's not martinis for me. I don't want martinis on the beach. Do people drink martinis on the beach? I don't know why. Okay. So the goal is to get to retirement. The work is in the way. That's how we think about things by nature. Now sometimes, you, you may have had this experience, and I hope you have, sometimes, sometimes you find that the work you're doing is a joy, and that it doesn't feel like work. In fact, that's the kind of things that we say. We say, I'm doing this job, but it doesn't actually feel like work because it's so joyous. We get those glimpses of something that is really valuable, something that is, in fact, divine, that we were made. We were made to work, to labor to be fruitful, to bring forth from the ground fruit in abundance. That's what we were made for. I want to show you how we got to the place where we are, this troubling relationship that we have with work. So you have to go all the way back to the beginning. When God created everything, notice this key fact, that God works. So the six days of creation were work. God was working. It wasn't like it was beneath him to work. In fact, this is what he was doing, being creative and bringing out of nothing something beautiful and wonderful and full of life. That was God's work. And when he rested on the seventh day, it wasn't as though that was why he worked all this time, so that he could just take a break in the end. But his rest was to enjoy the fruit of his labor and to be refreshed for more work. Rest is always refreshment for more work, never the end, never the stopping of work. But you know how the story goes. God had created this garden, this beautiful garden, and he, notice, he notices in Genesis chapter 2 that there's no one to work the ground. There's no man to work the ground. So God creates Adam and gives him this specific charge to work and keep the garden. Now pay attention to that. The Garden of Eden, paradise, before the fall into sin, before the sweat of your brow, before pain or suffering or sorrow, there is work from God that is good. Work that, in fact, participates with God in bringing forth from creation wonderful, fruitful, beautiful things. That was the joy of being Adam in the Garden of Eden, is that he was a co-creator in some sense with God. God put his image on Adam and gave him the task to do on a smaller scale, on a human scale, what God himself does to make things, to cultivate the ground and see the fruit be born from that. The story goes on. God observes that Adam, as he's working the ground, has no helper fit for him. Better to have two working together, two who are complementary, two who can be more than the sum of their parts, two who can work better together. And the story does not stay there. That was paradise, working working with God, for God, in the Garden of Eden, receiving everything as a gift. That was paradise. 
But when Adam and Eve reached out and took that fruit and ate what they should not have eaten, they took what did not belong to them, there were curses, consequences, attendant on their sins. These consequences, these curses govern all of our life from beginning to end. You know how they go. Genesis chapter 3, this is what God says to the woman. I will surely multiply your pain in childbearing. In pain you shall bring forth children. Now think about that. Think about how this curse that comes on account of sin directly affects one of the most fruitful things in our world. Childbearing. In pain you shall bring forth children. Not just the pain that comes with labor. Think about that word, labor, having to do with work. Not just that pain, but the pain of sorrow and grief and loss and disappointment. Of futility. Of not seeing fruit where you thought you should. That is what comes on account of sin. Our work becomes a chore, becomes bitter, becomes beset with sin. And even working together, husband and wife, becomes afflicted by this curse. Your desire, God says to Eve, your desire shall be contrary to your husband. That is, no longer acting like a helper fit for him, and he no longer acting like a head who leads his wife in God's glory, but working against each other, at odds with one another, struggling with one another. You can see how work, work, which is meant to be beautiful and wholesome and fruitful, how work already, right from the beginning, right from the fall into sin, work has become bitter. The same thing goes for the curses that God gave to Adam. You know these ones well. Also, in pain, you shall bring forth fruit from the ground. There's that word pain. Again, work has become painful. Thorns and thistles it shall bring forth. You're going to try and you're going to labor and what are you going to get? Far less than you think you should. You're going to work and you're going to work and you're going to work and then, I know you don't want me to hear, hear me say this, but you're going to work and work and work and then you're going to die. This is what God says to Adam. Till you return to the ground. For out of it you are taken. For dust you are and to dust you shall return. Those words you're going to hear on Ash Wednesday. This futility... This curse, this suffering that comes and takes away from us the joy that ought to belong to the beautiful work that God has given us in this world. Now work feels vain, feels empty, feels like a grasping after the wind. That's what Solomon says. Work and work and work, and what do you have? Nothing you can hold on to in the end. Moreover, this really gets some people, evil work, evil work is often what is rewarded. Who gets ahead in our world? Not often those who do what is righteous, but most often those who do what is wicked. Everything has been turned on its head, and selfishness spoils everything. We are turned inward so that now when we think about work, all we can think about, all we can think about is what am I getting out of this? All we can think about is what those first-hour workers thought. I want to get my due, I want to get what I'm owed, and nobody, nobody better get a better deal than me. How awful. What a terrible thing sin has done to work. What it has done to our hearts to make God's generosity seem bitter to us. This is actually what the master of the vineyard says at the end of the parable. He says to those first hour workers who are grumbling, he says, Is your eye evil because I am good? He's generous, which should make everyone rejoice. And because of their sinful hearts... They turn it into evil. They take it as something awful, something terrible. Now, that's the curses. 
Those are the curses that govern our lives. That's what we have reaped because of our sin. It's our burden. And there's some sense in which trying to navigate around that, trying to get through life without suffering those consequences of sin gets you into a lot of trouble. It's how it is. It's meant for our good. It's how God chastens us, how he disciplines us, teaches us to put our trust in him. You cannot make it on your own. You cannot live this life and succeed on your own. At the end of the day, all that you have, all that you have is God's mercy. And that's exactly what he wants you to have. But notice this, that the parable, this parable of God's kingdom, describes a future of work. So many people are confused about what heaven looks like. They think it's that situation of drinking martinis on the beach, right? That's not what heaven is. It's not one long golf game. It's not one long fishing trip. But it is work. And the reason why that chafes against us is because we think about work all wrong. We've thought about it the wrong way. Life in God's kingdom is a life called by God to labor in his vineyard. It's a return to the Garden of Eden. Think of that. You and I who have been cast out of God's garden because of our sin, here he has come to call us back, to join again with him in bringing forth fruit, in seeing goodness and beauty abound by his creative power, by his work done through us, all of which is accomplished by the sacrifice of Jesus on the cross. So when we think about work, we think about wages, and what do we deserve? What do we deserve? For the work that we have done, nothing but death and hell. And on the cross, Jesus suffers just that. He takes our wages, the wages we deserve for all of the dreadful work we have done. He takes those wages into himself and suffers on the cross. Why? So that once again, we can receive God's grace and mercy. So that we again can be brought back into his kingdom. So that we again can work in God's kingdom in righteousness and innocence and blessedness forever. Jesus suffers the heat of the day, the scorching heat, the labor that is only bitter. He suffers it joyfully, joyfully for your sake, because he knows what it means. It means that you are brought home, back into his kingdom. It means that we need to get straight in our heads what exactly this work entails. Here's how St. Paul puts it in his letter to the Thessalonians. He praises the Thessalonians for their work of faith and their labor of love. It's very important that when you think about the work that God gives you to do in this life, you don't just think about your job. You don't just think about what wages you're going to earn, but you think about something bigger, something grander, something that is actually participating with God in being creative and in being fruitful. A labor of love and a work of faith. It looks like this. It starts very simply by hearing God's word. Now, it might seem crass to you to call that work, but it is a kind of work to hear God's word, to sit down and open your ears, to eat and drink Jesus' body and blood is a labor. It's a work, not a burdensome one by any stretch of the imagination, but one of those joy-filled works that you get to do because you have been called into God's kingdom, and by so doing, your faith is strengthened. Get the order right here. Christians work. But they do not work in order to bring themselves into God's kingdom. Christians work because they have been brought into God's kingdom. And that work becomes a joy. So hear gladly God's word. Rejoice in that labor. Even when it chafes your flesh, when it feels like it's bitter and burdensome, rejoice that God has given you this work to do. He says, listen to me. Listen to me. Eat and drink. He gives you a command. That's your job. Do it. 
And when your flesh resists, say, no, I'm not outside the garden anymore. I'm not outside the kingdom. I'm not away from God's family, but I'm in his family. I belong to him, and so my work is a joy. Praying, praising, and giving thanks is a joy. This labor of faith, this work of faith. In fact, the word that we often use to describe the divine service, the worship that we do here in church, this is called a liturgy. Where we go through all of the parts of the service, confession and absolution, singing the Kyrie, saying the prayers, hearing the readings, all the way through the end. It's called a liturgy, which literally means the work of the people. The work of the people. That's what you're doing. You're laboring in God's vineyard when you are here. And when in your homes you open the scriptures and read them, and when in your homes you pray, you are working in God's vineyard. When you repent and trust in God's mercy. When his word has its way with you, when you turn away from sin, when you hear his law and you delight in it because you know it is what is good, when you take his law to heart and you learn to love your neighbors, you are working in God's vineyard. When you forgive as he has forgiven you, when you love as he has loved you, you are working and you are bringing forth fruit in abundance, more than you can see or imagine. When you pay attention to the responsibilities that God has given you in this life, you are laboring in his vineyard. All of you, every last one of you, has a job specific to you, given to you by God. It has to do with your station in life. Who are you? Are you a husband or a wife or a father or a mother or a child? Who are you? Knowing who you are tells you what your job is. If you're a husband, love your wife as Christ loves the church. If you're a wife, obey your husband as the church obeys and trusts Christ. If you're a child, honor your parents. Serve them willingly. Be cheerful about them. Love them. Hold them dear. If you're a parent, do not exasperate your children. But love them and teach them the faith. Show them what is good and right and true, show them God's love in your love for them. You have work to do. It's not the kind of work that the world sees as glamorous. It's not the kind of the wor work that the world thinks is very productive. In fact, as far as the world is concerned, when you do the work that God has given you to do, you seem idle. You seem like you're just sitting around doing nothing. You're twiddling your thumbs. On the contrary, if you do what the world tells you to do, if you work and work and work and try and build a name for yourself, to make something for yourself, to make a life for yourself apart from God, then, then you are idle. Then you're just spinning your wheels. Then you're doing nothing of value. But if instead, if instead you work the work that God has given you to do, if you bear the heat of the sun in the midday, if you rejoice in the cool of the morning and the cool of the evening when it is easy, if you listen to Jesus, if you listen to Jesus, he will bear fruit in your life beyond imagination. This is the hope for all of you. I know what it feels like. We all know what it feels like to work and see nothing come from it. To feel as though you're spinning your wheels. To feel as though it's futile. To watch your flesh grow older and weaker and to wonder what it was all about. To wonder what it all came to. You do not have to wonder. God's promise to you is as sure as Jesus died on the cross and rose from the dead. His promise to you is that when you do what he has given you to do, when you do the work of faith and labor and love, he will make it bear fruit. You're not working by your own steam. You're not deciding what is good and true or what is beautiful, but he is the one who has given it to you, preparing those works for you from before the foundation of the world. 
Do not listen to the world when they tell you that it's a waste of time. Rejoice when God tells you that he will bring out of you and bring out of your labor such abundance that you cannot imagine because it is all from him by grace. At the end of the day, this parable is, from beginning to end, a parable about God's generosity. It's a warning for those who would begrudge God his generosity. But for you, but for you, who have received everything from God as a gift, it is so hopeful. It is so delightful. Because the words that were given to those first hour workers are a word of judgment. Take what is yours and go. Those are not the words that are given to you. What the master says to you, what God says to you, is enter into the joy. Enter into the joy of your master. Enter into my joy. Remain with me. Do not take your wages and go, but continue on in eternity with me, the one who is generous beyond measure, with the one who loves you more than you can imagine, with the one who will continue to give you every good thing. To God alone be all glory now and forever. Amen.